everybody? How are you today? Yeah? Doing good? All right, let's get the elephant out of the room. Nathan told me this morning that every time he passes me, he's going to say, go Colts. I've got a front row of Colts players here, and I'm just... So I'm going to let you in on a text conversation with my mom from this week. My mom always worrying about me. She started off by saying, do not talk sports with anyone at church today. This is on Tuesday morning. (laughs) She said, against the Bengals is the only time I don't root for the Colts. So there you got that. But I do want to know what she did say. She said the Colts are going down this Sunday. And I need to remind you all that you're in the jungle today, and Jake Browning is going to light it up, which I can't believe I'm saying Jake Browning is going to light it up, because he probably won't. But anyway, hope you have a good game today. Anyway, I just needed to get that off my chest, so I know I'm going to hear about it one way or the other. Um, Well, hi, I'm Tim. Uh, I'm the lead minister here at uh, Markle Church of Christ, and uh, I'm honored and privileged. Uh, I am a Cincinnatian uh, by birth, so hence the reason that I'm in enemy territory today. But, uh, but I know that in reality I'm amongst family and friends because we share common faith, and we are continuing our series, our series called Advent, and we are uh, considering the arrival of Jesus and the wonderful story of God's grace, and uh, not only that, but the story that he has invited us uh, to play a part in. And uh, I want to continue that focus this morning, and and in order to do that, I I got to thinking this week, um, do any of you have anything in your life that makes you grumpy? Oh, I can tell by the chuckles and the, uh, (laughs) yeah, that you do. I wonder, I, I'll have to talk to you about seeing what, what that is at some point. But I'm going to tell you what, one thing that tends to make me a bit grumpy. So I like, I like to travel. I like, I like to take an occasional vacation. I like to see different places. I like to, you know, n- now that, that we live away from home, I like to get to go and visit family back home, our friends back home. Uh, it's always a nice uh, shot in the arm in a, in a good way. I shouldn't say that because Angie got a shot in the arm yesterday and now has the chills. So anyway, uh, but, uh, but anyway, um, but the thing is, is I tend to get really excited about the trip. And then in about the 24 hours leading up to departing on the trip, I realize we've got to pack. We've got to situate things and we've got to do something with our 14-year-old dog to make sure he's okay. And we have a 40-year-old, so we've got to make sure he's going to be all right on the trip. And we've got to pack clothes. And I don't know why, but this 24-hour period turns me from being a chill dude to turning into the Grinch. And I just say Grinch because it's Christmas season. So... I'm not a fan of the lead-up to travel. I don't, like, I don't like waiting till the last minute till things are done, but I also 
kind of tend to not want to do things in the lead up to the trip. I just want to be at the place that I'm going. And I think that's part of the problem is that typically, in most cases, a trip is a good thing. It's a, it's a fun thing to get to go on. And so I just want to get to the fun and not have to worry about the preparedness aspect. The, am I the only person here that gets really grumpy in the lead up to travel? I, I am? Okay. Well, that's okay. I am in enemy territory this morning. This is not going well. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so anyway, yeah, so I, I get this way. Even at, like, okay, I've probably told you this before. I'm a weirdo and I like being in airports. Give me a three-hour layover. I'm golden. I love people watching, but I'll tell you the part of the airport I hate the most. Thank you, the TSA. And I'm the guy, if I've got a 20, if I'm back like 20 minutes in line, it doesn't matter if I'm back that far. I'm already taking my belt off and my shoes, and I'm making sure that the laptop and all the components are supposed to be out or in the little tray. I just carry the tray because I get so stressed out at the preparedness part before being interrogated by the TS. I've actually been interrogated by by. Oh, anyway, I won't get into that. But anyway, <laughs> I won't get into that right now. But anyway, like the, the preparedness to get to the place where you want to go tends to be a stress point for me. So, and I, I bring that up today because when we look at the passage we're going to look at in the Gospel of Mark, which is the first eight verses of the Gospel of Mark today, we, we get this announcement at the beginning of Mark that he's going to tell the story of the good news about Jesus. And, it, and it, you know, if you hear good news, like, and you, you think, I'm going to get something good out of this, you, you want to get excited. And then Mark, at the beginning of his gospel, does a thing that kind of tempers your excitement. He starts out by talking about John the baptizer, and why John the baptizer is on the scene early on in the gospel. And you suddenly realize that you're not just getting good news, but you're being called to prepare. And all of a sudden, I go from, yay, good news, to kind of get grouchy. I don't know if I'm prepared for this. And I hope that what we walk away from, or walk away with this morning, is this idea that anything good ends up being worth preparing for. You know, we're in this season, and, you know, I've mentioned it last week, we're in this season, and, and maybe, maybe you're a person, you've got a lot of traditions you're looking forward to, you're looking forward to friends, family, uh, maybe you really love opening gifts. Maybe you really love giving gifts. Uh, maybe you love going and driving around, seeing the lights on people's houses. Uh, maybe you love doing all of these things. But with all of those things comes a level of preparedness. Like if you're really into gift giving, which I scored a zero on the five love languages for gift giving, just so you know. I even talked to my counselor about this recently. I have problems. If you can't tell, I have problems. Anyway, uh, but, I, so, but, but I understand. I have people in my life that are really into the gift thing, and 
you still have to like work through like, what am I going to get this person? Do I know this person well enough? If I don't know them well enough, can I find out what they want in time? Can I get it in time? Will it ship on time? What about Amazon two-day shipping? It doesn't feel like two days right now. What are we going to do? Now I've stressed you out, haven't I? See, it all things end up requiring preparedness. Preparedness. And the same is true for the arrival of Jesus. Now, I'm going to admit to you that next week and the week after, we're going to actually look at the birth stories. Mark conspicuously doesn't have the birth story. He just jumps right into Jesus showing up with John the Baptist. But it's still a story of arrival. It's still a story of anticipation. It's still an announcement of good news, and it's still a call to being prepared. So I want us to look at this story and not only get excited about the arrival of Jesus, but to consider what it means to be prepared for his coming. And one of the cool things uh, is even the readings that that Nick is sharing with us as we intro each week, some of them are anticipating the second coming or second arrival of Jesus. And so when we think about what John the Baptist has to say about being prepared, it's something that we consider looking back, but when we look forward. And so the story remains the same for us. So I want you to join me in reading the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, beginning in verses, uh, beginning with verse 1 through verse 8. Mark writes, The beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ happened just as it was written about in the prophecy of Isaiah. Look, I am sending my messenger before you. He will prepare your way. A voice shouting in the and wild honey. Thanks, buddy. He announced, one, uh, one stronger than I am is coming after me. I'm not even worthy to bend over and loosen the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Was that Tyler? Well, thanks, Tyler, wherever you went. That was, that was sneaky good right there. Apparently, I should have been prepared for technical difficulties this morning. Talking about preparedness. Anyway, hopefully you caught that reading there. I tried to raise my voice through there, but I want to break. Uh, I want to break down this this intro because uh, the intro of the Gospel of Mark, uh, like many intros to many of the books of the Bible that we study through, tend to be something that we're so familiar with, or they feel so introductiony that we kind of gloss by them, and we don't necessarily capture all that is being 
said and all the profound meaning that someone like Mark is conveying. Literally right out of the gate, in the first verse, Mark says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, God's Son. And that's verse 1 right there. The use of the word beginning uh, in, in Greek is the same word that is used in Genesis 1-1 in the Greek rendition of Genesis. And so many of the gospel writers, like if you, if you read uh, the gospel of John, like to connect the gospel, the coming of Jesus, back to the beginning. John, in fact, in his gospel, uses the phrase in the beginning, just like it is used in Genesis. But here, there's more going on. See, Mark isn't just connecting dots for us, showing where Jesus is in place. You know, last week we looked at the genealogy and the way Matthew connected the dots for us with Jesus is he gave us his whole lineage and his royal lineage. But here, Mark is not interested in connecting for us dots back, but connecting dots forward. Because what Mark is actually saying is, the story he's about to tell is the beginning of the good news. And you're like, what? Well, here's the thing. This is, this is fun. If you go to Mark chapter 16, verse 8 in your Bible, the gospel of Mark and most of your Bibles ends after that verse. Now, I know that there are verses 9 through 20, and you might have a note that says that they showed up in later manuscripts. But here's the thing about Mark. Mark's gospel ends with an empty tomb, a message from the angels at the empty tomb that Jesus is not there, that he is risen, and a message to the ladies at the empty tomb to tell them to go and tell the disciples. And it says at the end of the Gospel of Mark that the women at the tomb exit in fear. And then it ends with a cliffhanger. Because the thing about Mark is he's interested in telling a gospel story that begins with what God does with Jesus and continues in the lives of believers that make up the church. So he leaves it on a cliffhanger and says, what are you going to do with the story? He's constantly preparing us for what we are going to do with this gospel story. So he opens up by saying, this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, God's Son. And he tells us who Jesus is right out of the gate. That he is the Messiah, the awaited one. He is God's son. And then he goes on and he says that it happened just as Isaiah the prophet said that it would. Although, if you look at this passage, it's not just a verse from Isaiah. It's also a passage from Exodus and Malachi. It's not just Isaiah the prophet, but the prophets that said that Jesus would come about this way. And that there would be a preparer to prepare the people for the coming, the arrival of Jesus. 
And that's when he jumps in with the story of John the Baptist. John, he says, was in the wilderness or desert calling for people to be baptized to show or to repent, to show that they were changing their hearts and lives and wanted God to forgive their sins. Everyone in Judea and all around Jerusalem, they came out to see and to hear John and to be baptized by him at the Jordan River as they confessed their sins, as they admitted to their wrongdoings, as they admitted to having deviated from God's perfect will. Now we're told that John, well he's a wild guy, he wore clothes of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, which if you read the description of Elijah in 2 Kings, you'll know that John is dressing himself as a prophet of old. And Mark is conveying and making sure that we catch that connection. And it says that he has this weird clothing going on and that he eats locusts and wild honey and before he worried that John is eating some weird stuff, don't worry, it's permitted in the cleanliness laws of Leviticus. John was born under miraculous circumstances, and we picked that up in the other Gospels that not only tell of Jesus' birth, but the birth of John. And we're told that he is to be kept pure in the Levitical sense in every way because he's going to play a very particular and important role for God. And even though we don't get that story centered around his birth in Mark, we are told that he lives out what he was supposed to live out that was told to his own parents by styling himself as a prophet and by following the laws of old. And here's where John's announcement comes in. He announces that one, is, one stronger than I am is coming after me. I'm not worthy to bend over and loosen the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John is described as this prophet of old out in the wilderness, calling the people to repentance, calling them to confess their sins, calling them to be baptized as a show that they are turning their lives back to God. And in doing these things, he is living out the very definition of being the way preparer for the people. To be prepared means to admit our guilt, to admit that we need God, to admit that we need his grace, to admit that we need the one who is coming. And while John is calling people out to the wilderness to be baptized, to repent and to do these things, his announcement doesn't end there. He announces the one that is coming. And I love this because John, even though he's described as this important person, and he's so important that people are going out into the wilderness to see him and to hear what he has to say, he humbles himself in the story. He basically says, the lowest job that a slave in this world can do to get down and untie the sandals of somebody else, 
I'm not even worthy of doing the most unworthy of jobs for the one that's coming after me. I'm here, you can see the water around me that I am dunking people in. Yes, that's what baptism means. It, it's just a word to, to dip or to dunk. He's John the Dunkest. He's, he's, he looks, he's got these people out here and he's, he's got this water and he says, yes, look, I am dunking you in water as a, as a sign of your repentance. But the one coming after me can do something more powerful than I'm capable of doing. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It's a, it's a really peculiar opening to a gospel. Especially for us as we're celebrating Christmas because we're used to hearing the story about Jesus' birth. And like I said, we're going to get to that next week and the week after. But we don't often stop and dig in to what Mark has to say about the arrival of Jesus. About the fact that when John comes on the scene to announce his coming, that he calls people to be prepared. And not only prepared for the arrival of Jesus, but to be prepared for what the arrival of Jesus actually means. That last bit, when he says, I baptize you with water, but the one coming after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, he's looking forward to saying that Jesus isn't just coming to be Savior. He's coming to be Lord, to be ruler, to be master over your lives. And he's coming to give you something that you can't get on your own, that will alter your life. This show of repentance that you say you need God, that you want to turn your life around, that you want to turn your heart back to God, he's going to give you the means to do it. And it's going to mess with you. You have to be prepared. The arrival of good news, the arrival, the welcoming of good news, the welcoming of something good in your life always demands that we're prepared for what's coming. We celebrate at this time of year all the good and graceful things God has done because of his son Jesus. He is light that has come into the darkness, but we don't often stop to think about what it means to be prepared for his arrival or to be prepared to do as he calls us to do. Now, I told you a story at the beginning about how I can get grumpy when traveling because it always sounds good to go on a good trip but the reality is that a good trip is always going to go over the best when it's planned and prepared for and yes for those wondering that didn't come out of my mouth that's something my wife has told me for years that I tend to not be good at listening to I'm just kind of a go-with-the-flow person. Trust me, going other places in a go-with-the-flow mentality does not set you up to have a really good, enjoyable experience. Like, 
The first time we ever went out of the country, my wife didn't get to be involved with the plans. I just worked the plans out. And I'm really using work the plans out loosely. My, my PhD advisor told us where we could find some bikes to use in the Netherlands. If you don't know about the Netherlands, I'll tell you this. Uh, the Netherlands has more bicycles than people. When he told us where his bikes that he was going to loan us were, they were in a garage full of bikes. You know, if your car is in a parking lot somewhere and you forget where you parked it, you could typically click a button on your keys and it'll honk, which my son loves to do while it's sitting in the garage. I have to keep the keys away from him. And then you can kind of, oh, it sounds like it's over there. I'll go find it. Finding a red and blue bike when there are thousands of bikes around in a parking garage, really, really difficult. That's why I've learned that I need to listen to my wife and plan better to go over to another country. You want to have a good experience. You want to be prepared. So here's the deal about this. And this is, this is where this kind of stuff came to fruition uh, for me on two different levels. I have been a doctoral student for uh, 10 years now. I think I've told you before I might be the slowest and worst doctoral student ever. But I finally found out on December 1st that the committee members have actually signed on to be manuscript committee members, so I should find out by Christmas whether or not I passed. Woohoo! That'll be fun. Of course, I'm really nervous that I'm not going to pass because I always expect the worst and then hope for the best. But I'll never forget when I was being invited into the process and my advisor was talking to me in a meeting. And he said, you know, Tim, a lot of people will get really excited about doing this sort of thing for a whole host of reasons. Maybe they actually want to feel like they've learned something. Maybe you're a bit egotistical and you just want a title at the end of your, you know, the comma and then the PhD thing at the end. And he's like, whatever your reason is, that's fine. But he says, I, I want you to know something. This is going to be one of the hardest things that you've ever done. It's going to disrupt your relationships. It's going to disrupt your marriage. It's going to disrupt your job. And it's going to disrupt your own head. I was like, are you trying to get me to do this? The reason he said all of that was not to dissuade me, but to prepare me for the reality. Because anything good and worth doing requires being prepared for what's coming. It's the same thing when I answer the call to ministry. More specifically, coming here. You know, it's always good when someone invites you somewhere and, and they want you to be there. And then you get there, and hardships happen. People go through hardships. You learn you don't have it all together. Maybe I'm not what I thought I was. Maybe I don't know if I'm a good leader. Maybe, if I, don't, maybe I don't know if I know how to say the right thing. Or in my case, sometimes doing what I do, maybe I don't know when to shut up. 
But then I realized that all the years of preparing for this spot, no matter my wins, losses, successes, failures, I've been prepared along the way to deal with the calling. And even though it's a good thing that I've stepped into, it required preparedness. Trust me, anything good that you want to do requires you to be prepared for what's coming. And here's where the Christmas story comes in. Jesus has arrived. It's good news. But it means that you need to be prepared for what's coming. For the ladies at the empty tomb, at the end of the Gospel of Mark, what they needed to be prepared for wasn't the excitement of hearing Jesus teach some wonderful things or perform some wonderful miracles. It was the reality that all of a sudden their Lord that they had followed had died, been buried in a tomb, and now the tomb was empty. And they've heard this wonderful message. And there are people that don't like them. They don't like their Messiah and they don't like their movement. And the angel says, oh, by the way, I want you to do something. Go tell others. What do they do? Are they prepared for the moment? Jesus has been preparing them. He's been preparing disciples. If you read the story, the disciples that Jesus prepared, there were 12 that are called apostles. One of them betrays him. The other all scatter when he's arrested. He had spent three years or so preparing them. And then things got hard. When you turn over to the book of Acts and you read the story of the early church, and the spirit that was promised all the way back here in Mark 1 from the lips of John the Baptist. When the spirit comes, all of these profound changes are happening. They're able to speak in other languages to share the gospel. And they're able to do these wonderful things. And the church comes together and it's, it's all hunky-dory and, until they run into trouble. Some people in the movement go about it the wrong way. And people outside the movement don't like what they have to say and they begin to persecute them. All of us want the story of Jesus because all of us want God's grace. But we don't often stop to, to ponder what it means to be prepared for his arrival. God is interested in preparing you because he wants you to step into a good thing but good things are never easy, and they require you to be prepared. Every single one of us that has sang the song, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, love the story of God's grace. But I bet that we don't love the hardship that comes with following him. The hardship of doing it right when others around us are doing it wrong. The hardship of experiencing grief when we thought things were going to go right. The hardship of letting go of the things that we struggle with because we really don't want to let them go, but God requires it of us. 
See, the story of John in the wilderness, telling people, announcing them about the arrival of Jesus, it has everything, everything in it that we who aim to follow Jesus struggle with daily. He says to be prepared. Why? Well, because preparedness means changing our hearts and lives, wanting God to forgive our sins, to turn away from our past and move forward and toward him, and to embrace the coming of his power in our lives to help us and to lead the way. And those things, on a grand scheme and on a daily basis, are really, really, really hard to do. Some days, for me, they leave me feeling a bit grouchy, just like I'm getting ready to go on a good trip. Because I know this moment's not going to be easy. And that's the beauty of this season that we're in. Advent means to celebrate the arrival the arrival of Jesus. Not only the arrival that he made when John said he was coming, but his second arrival. And what does it mean to be prepared for his arrival? Well, we don't have to look any further than what John says. And preparedness is not easy. It requires thought, planning, a willingness to do things different, an openness to God's correction. But when we are willing to do those things, we are ready for his arrival. We are ready to embrace the good news, the beginning of the good news, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come. And it's the beginning, because that story that starts with him continues in every single one of us that choose to follow him. So the question we have to wrestle with is are we ready? Are we prepared? Each week, we take communion together as one church family. And we take communion each week because Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, told his disciples to do this in remembrance of me. And even though it involves a small token of small tokens to take the bread and to drink the cup. It is an opportunity for us to display our preparedness because we take this moment to be obedient to the command of Jesus. It's funny, we think about the arrival of Jesus and that's Christmas season and then we think about this and we think well that's good Friday and then we celebrate the resurrection and that's Easter Sunday but the reality is is that they all go together this is an act of preparedness an act of obedience to him because this is what he said to do and we recognize that when we take communion we don't just celebrate what God has done through Jesus death but we, we proclaim his arrival, that this is what he came to do. And so in just a moment, after we've taken a time to contemplate Jesus' arrival and the opportunity we have to be obedient to his command, we'll take communion together as one church family.
God, we thank you for your uh, thank you for your message of grace as proclaimed uh, through the story, the good news of your son Jesus. But we also thank you that uh, while you share good news, that you lay all your cards on the table, that you not only call us to embrace good news, but you call us to be prepared. to count the cost, to consider what it means to turn our lives toward you. And we thank you that the story that we celebrate at this time of year isn't just a warm and fuzzy story, but it's a, a story where you not only saved us, but, but you have intention to restore to redeem us and even though uh, in our imperfection our sin we make that story go about pretty slowly uh, that you stick with us that you give your spirit to guide us and encourage us and I pray God that as we celebrate the, the coming of your son Jesus into the world that we'll not only celebrate how good you are to us but that we'll consider the whole story at this time of year, that we'll count the cost, that we'll consider what it means to be made ready, and that we'll give ourselves over to you each day so that we can face whatever challenges lay before us to live out our faith uh, and glory to you. And I pray, God, that you will not only help us to do that by the power of your spirit, but by the spurring on of one another in this family of faith to love and good deeds and help us to cling to your grace as the motivating factor uh, to do it. Thank you for loving us the way that you do. And it's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.